Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Chaldean News Radio Podcast. I'm your host, Omar Bindu. With us today is Dr. Nick Yaldu with the Henry Ford Health System. Nick, thanks for being on here with us. Thank you so much, for Omar, for having me. It's, it's really a pleasure to be here with you. So tell us a little bit about your background. Sure, Omar. Um, I am a Metro Detroit native. Uh, I went to undergrad at the University of Michigan, and I went to medical school at Wayne State. Uh, I went on uh, to do my residency at Harvard Medical School at the Brigham and Women's Hospital in anesthesiology. And then, uh, you know, because I uh, love my mom and dad and love their food so much, I decided to come back to Ann Arbor. Uh, I did two fellowships at the University of Michigan, uh, the first one in critical care medicine and the second one in cardiothoracic anesthesiology. And then uh, I left there to work at the Detroit Medical Center for a couple of years. I was the associate program director of the residency there. And I was recruited over to Henry Ford, where I'm now uh, the program director of the anesthesiology residency and also practicing in cardiothoracic anesthesia and critical care. That's awesome, man. So tell us, what's some of your, uh, what are a couple of your favorite uh, Chaldean dishes? Uh, well, Omar, uh, you know, I know everyone's going to say dolma. I'm real old school, so I love everything. I love pacho. I love keshka. I'm a big Harissa fan. I love all the rice and maracas. I'm not picky. I, I'll, anything you put in front of me, I will eat. And thank God I have a wife that makes great Chaldean food. She competes with my mom and my mother who has the best dishes. And I'm the, I'm the winner uh, of all of those competitions. That's awesome, man. I love, I love hearing stories like that. So uh, obviously, you know, we're living in a crazy time during this pandemic. Uh, the COVID-19, uh, a very new virus uh, there's a lot we don't know about it, but there's a lot of information floating around on the internet, of course, through social media and other websites that claim to know more than they really do. And, you know, we're getting a lot of information that's, you know, swinging us this way and that way. And nobody really knows what to think or what to believe anymore. So tell us a little bit about the, the C-19 virus from your experiences. Absolutely. Absolutely. So first I'm going to make a disclaimer to you, Omar. Um, I am a physician. I do what I do because I love what I do. I believe I have a calling from God to help people. I gain my fulfillment in life by helping people who cannot help themselves. Uh, I am not a materialistic person. I don't care about money. I don't care about flashy cars. I mean, of course, we all like nice things here and there, but I truly do this because I love what I do, and I do believe it is my calling. So, I love it, man. love hearing that. I have no reason to lie. I have no reason. I'm just going to share with you my experience. So I've been in the ICU for four of the last six weeks, 24-7, seven days a week. I've had a week off here or there. Um, and so I've, I've, I've seen the, the intense nature of this disease. Detroit uh, is one of the most impacted cities in the entire country. And when I tell you this is a very unique, never, never seen before disease, I, I'm being quite honest with you. Omar, I take care of the sickest patients there are. I, I am involved in the lung transplants, heart transplants, all the open heart surgeries, the big aortic dissections, um, that's in the operating room. And then on the other end of it, on the critical care end, I, I you know, usually a week, a week a month, I take care of all the critically ill patients, the post-op patients, the traumas. Um, and so I, I'm used to seeing the very sickest patients there are across the world. I mean, that's, that's what I do. Uh, and I can tell you right now that we have never before seen anything like this. Now, I'll qualify that in saying that there's a small percentage of the population who are affected very seriously. 
meaning they're knocking on death's door. And there's a big percentage of the population who have a moderate illness, a mild illness, and then even some that we're finding have no symptoms at all, but are still carriers. What I can tell you is that the myth that this is a disease of sick old people is just that, it is a myth. I am seeing 24-year-old, 25-year-old, 26-year-old patients otherwise healthy. I'm talking they work out, they're active, they don't take meds, they're not overweight, in the hospital, critically ill, trying to die. That's what we say, trying to die on this. Now, with that said, we're also seeing sick people get very sick. We're seeing people with diabetes, people with high blood pressure and heart disease, especially people who are overweight, becoming very, very critically ill. And now, obviously, as as a lot of people are seeing in the paper, this is affecting our children as well. Now, in the last 10 days, this is affecting kids. So we're seeing um, what what starts as a pneumonia in many cases or flu-like symptoms, cough, fever, shortness of breath, sore throat. Some people say my eyes hurt. Some people say they have a headache. Other people say I have full body myalgias. Some very nonspecific symptoms that many times can progress to something much more severe, meaning your oxygen levels will fall to a very low level, especially with activity. And those are the people that usually end up in the hospital. Or God forbid, as we've been reading in the news, who don't take it seriously end up dying at home. Wow. And... uh so, so when you put these, these, um, you know, patients on a on a ventilator, how does how has that has that been helpful? How does that work in terms of, you know, getting oxygen to them? You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff out there that says, well, maybe the ventilator is hurting them, and you know, nothing in medicine, Omar, is without side effects. The thing is, is that we don't go right to a ventilator in critical care. We put you on, you know, the nasal prongs of oxygen to try and get your levels up. And when that doesn't work, we go to a face mask. And then, you know, we'll go to what's called a high flow nasal cannula, which is a higher level of support. And then if that doesn't work, maybe we'll go to another mask or something. And then we intubate you. So the people that get intubated require intubation. There's nothing else we have to do or they'll die. Does the ventilator help? It's what we call supportive care. It's not a cure. It's not treating them. It's keeping them alive while we try to figure out what we can do to fight this virus. And what we're finding in many cases, at least early on, before the days of remdesivir and plasma, is that the patient had to fight the disease on their own, basically. And we were just keeping them alive with the ventilator. So does it help? Yes, it helps. It also has side effects. Being on a ventilator is not harmless. The pressure in your lungs and the high oxygen concentration in your lungs can be damaging to your lungs. But it's all we have to keep you alive, to try and keep you alive long enough to get rid of this virus. And what about the drugs that are being touted out there, uh, you know, that that are supposed to be able to uh, alleviate some of this? So, you know, early on, there was this big fuss about hydroxychloroquine. I'm going to be honest with you, in um, in my opinion, I don't think hydroxychloroquine was very effective. I mean, I'm a doctor speaking. I'm not, you know talking about the political end of this, you know, the, the Republicans support hydroxychloroquine, the Democrats support Remdesivir, all of a sudden it's, you know, you, you choose a drug based on what party you support. It's, it's just crazy. I'm seeing this in, in, in front of me, and I don't believe hydroxychloroquine has much of an impact on this disease. 
at least in the moderate to severe stages of this disease. Now, whether or not it has some kind of prophylactic effect, meaning if you take the medication before you even see COVID, will it maybe block the disease? We still don't know. I, I don't, I can't comment. What I have seen more of an impact on is remdesivir and convalescent plasma. We have those in Henry Ford. Most of the hospitals in the area, Metro Detroit, are not on those, but we do have those at Henry Ford. And I, I, you know, having seen the days before we had those and not being very successful and having a lot of loss to seeing the impact of those medications once we had them, I am seeing benefit in those medications. We've been able to, maybe someone goes on the ventilator and maybe instead of being on for weeks, they come off the ventilator in a few days. So just by my own eye, meaning anecdotally, it seems that the remdesivir plus or minus the convalescent plasma are having an impact on these patients. You know, uh, and, and that's, that's great. You know, the, the, the data that you're providing here, uh, it's, it makes me think that, you know what, these, it's unfortunate right now because it seems like uh, these political parties, both sides, should be working together. And instead, you know, they're, they're busy screaming and pointing each other's faults out. And it's, that's almost, in a sense, undermining uh, the work of the healthcare community and what they're trying to accomplish and discover. All right, Omar, let me, let me talk a little bit about studies and science. Science it has to be validated. It's a, it, it, a study must be statistically significant in order to mean anything at all. And the problem with people out there just clinging to everything, and I understand we all have this urge to cling to something because we're in a time we've never been in before and we're scared. We all are. But the fact is, is that you can put out 100 studies and you can publish them and put them on Facebook and Twitter and whatever. And if none of them have any statistical significance, meaning a detailed analysis in a statistical fashion, they mean nothing. So I compare it to you know buying gold. Omar, you want to buy a gold ring? You come to me and say, Nick, I want to buy a gold ring and I have a fake gold ring in my hand. It's lead painted with gold paint. And I say, Omar, here, look, this looks gold feels like gold, tastes like gold, and you don't know how to assess what's real gold. So right. you say, okay, Nick, it looks like real gold. And then you put that gold ring on, and you go around to all your friends and cousins and family and say, look at my real, this is the best gold, this is the real gold, and you don't know that it's just lead painted. That's how I compare people using these studies yep. to rule their political argument. Most of them are not real. They're not significant. They mean nothing. And so that's why you do need to rely on the medical community and the scientific community to say, listen, this stuff doesn't mean anything. This lady putting out this video pandemic, I mean, that's, you know, it, it's been so debunked on so many levels. There's nothing statistically significant about anything this person is saying. Right. So what I'm saying is just listen to the professionals and let us help you interpret the data and take that data that actually is meaningful. And let me tell you, I'll be honest, there's not a lot of it out there yet because this is a very new disease, but argue with that data and get into a room together, cross the aisle, sit in a room together and talk about strategies of how we're going to adjust to the new normal. Not that this doesn't exist and people are inflating it and people have an agenda and, you know, the Democrats want the economy to crash, but the Republicans don't. And listen, I'm, I'm sympathetic to, to, to the business owners. I'm sure. Sure. I know all my friends own businesses. I'm crushed for what's going on with them. Yep. But I want everyone to come together to work on a plan so we can get these people back on their feet. 
So, and you know, very well put. So having said that, one last thing I want to touch on. With this having so many different symptoms with different people and, uh, you know, some are affected obviously more harshly than others and, and whatnot. What, what can we attribute to that? Is this, are, are these because of genetic influences, environmental influences? What does that tell you? Omar, honestly, we don't know. We don't know why the healthy 44-year-old who works out every day gets this so severely. And then my sister, who's 36, who's healthy and has no issues, has kind of a bad flu for a week and then gets better versus the, the guy or girl who had no symptoms at all and was positive. What I think people need to understand is that this is more than just a pneumonia. It's a multi-system disorder. This, uh, this makes your blood clot. It can make your kidney fail. You can have stroke symptoms. You can have neuropathy. People have had bad uh, um, impacts on their brain. Uh, you can have secondary infections. You know, this is not just a pneumonia or a cold. This is a multi-system organ attack. There's an inflammatory response in combination with the pneumonia that can surge and cause all types of other issues. People who have had this bad come out with blood clots and high blood pressure and their heart rates through the roof and their kidneys are impacted. So who gets it and who doesn't? Nobody can tell you that right now. We know that immunocompromised people and people with disease or, and older people will definitely be impacted because, oh my, those are the people that get impacted more by any disease. Right. There's no disease that says I am not going to, you know, uh, um, um, impact the sick in a worse way. Sure. The elderly and the very young and the immunocompromised and the people with health disorders are always going to have less reserve for diseases than everyone else. The scary part of it is that how do we predict the healthy people? There was some talk about, well, it depends on your blood type. And, you know, there are some disorders out there that have a prevalence for certain blood types. But frankly, we do not know at all how this impacts different people. And that is the scary part. I'm not saying we won't get there at some point, but we just don't know. And now the right. same place of this was that our children weren't impacted. But now what we're seeing is kids being impacted with this Kawasaki syndrome. And yeah. that is scarier than ever. I have, I'm, I'm a father. I have two babies at home, a two-year-old and a one-year-old. And there was some solace that, you know, I'm not going to pass this to my kids or they're not going to get it that badly. Mind you, I lived away from my family for two weeks in a room above my house and above my garage and never saw them. Um, mm -hmm. Three weeks, I'm sorry. And now, and now I'm back because I'm taking the precautions and I've been tested. But, you know, we don't know. Now I'm scared. Do I send my kids to school? How do I go about this? If, if they wear a mask, but the other person says, well, this is a, an attack on my freedom to wear a mask, you know, how do we address that? So, um, you know, it, it's a very, very vague um, set of data out there. We don't really know what to make of it. We're just starting to pick up the pieces, let alone put the pieces together. Yeah, uh, very well said. And we we definitely have a ways to go, I think, uh, unfortunately. Um, as far as reopening or keeping things closed, I mean, that, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But yeah, in terms of this this thing, uh, uh, th thanks a lot for, for really providing a lot of insight to, to our listeners. And thanks a lot again for being on here with us. My pleasure, Omar. Thank you very much for happening. You know, in the end, I wish everyone well. I want businesses to reopen. I want us to go back to some semblance of normal life. Believe me, this has rocked all of us. And I just think we need to work together, listen to the facts, 
you know, search for the quality and the, re and, and, and the significant data and find a way forward. Uh, really, I think we are best when we work together uh, and not when we are divided. So I hope that will help. Amen. And thank you, Dr. Nick Yeldu. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to be here.